Welcome to First Up, it is Ra Mere, that is Friday the 23rd of September, Ko Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, the UN General Assembly hears from Russia about Ukraine. We go ourselves to Moscow as citizens try to leave the country to avoid being forced to fight in Putin's war. We hear from boxer Joseph Parker ahead of his bout this weekend with Britain's Joe Joyce. And spring, it's officially here today. Apparently, we hear how it's celebrated in the Māori lunar calendar. The pipi whāruru, which is the shining cooker, has flowed in, and there's a proverb of whakatauki that goes, katangi te pipi whāruru, katimata māhuru, the cry of the pipi whāruru, spring has begun. Welcome to First Up. And also just want to um, hope that everyone's okay. Hope the Ladro's all right and everything. Um, bit of rumbling in the central North Island. And uh, that was always the, one of the main concerns in our house. Quick, check the Ladro, make sure that's okay. And uh, did I, what other things fell over. So, um, yeah, hopefully this morning you're not waking up to find any sort of cracks or damage or what have you. Uh, we begin this morning in New York where the most important UN um, Secretary uh, Security Council sorry, meeting in uh, some years has been underway for the past few hours. And joining us from there uh, at the United Nations is our correspondent, Anna Burns-Francis. Kia ora, Anna. Good morning. How are you? It's, not, it's a bit of a rainy day here, but at least it hasn't been a wobbly one. Oh, yeah, that's that is a, that is a good thing. Hey, tell me this: um, Ukraine, obviously at the centre of the de- discussions. All the countries there, do they seem to be on the same page over the Russian aggression? Well, yes and no. You know, the majority of members have, of course, been really strong in condemning Russia's aggression against Ukraine. The Secretary General today calling for a probe into Ukraine. The US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, accusing Russia of shedding the world order. Um, Of course, though, the failure of the Security Council to act has been fairly criticised since the beginning of this conflict. It's effectiveness null and void with that veto that Russia kept exercising. Now, France is saying that the Ukrainian war has put the Council and the wider UN at a crossroads, that the conflict is a blow to multilateralism. So you can probably make a good guess, though, at which countries are in agreement on that perspective, but Russia does still have some allies on the Council like China. So then, you know, this gets uh, spoken about. The the foreign uh, minister of Russia, Sergei Lavrov, what, what was his response? Yeah, well, the usual bluster and false narratives that we've seen from the very beginning. Mr Lavrov is today accusing his fellow council members of imposing a completely different narrative on what he says is actually happening. You know, look, big sigh here because Russia is claiming it's freeing Ukrainians in the South and East who are being denied their human rights. It's laughable because if that was the truth, launching a war arguably was not the way to handle it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I love that one. It's just a different narrative. That's all you're doing. You're framing it that way. Let's talk about, um, let's be Kiwi here for a second. Our Prime Minister, um, what's she been doing since we talked with you yesterday morning? Well, last night, very swanky event at the American Natural History Museum on the Upper West Side, currently, by the way, exhibiting hidden gem, gems and 
Jules dinner with President Biden hosted there last night with all of the delegates uh, or the leaders of each delegation at the United Nations this year. So they had a big dinner, big soiree there, maybe well late into the night, you would think, and then a meeting with Chile this morning. She's dodged some rain showers to race over to the Australian uh, mission to meet with Pacific leaders. And now she's off at a meeting with the UN Secretary General, who, if all going to schedule, will have just left that Security Council meeting. Wow. And when does um, Jacinda Ardern address the General Assembly? Tomorrow. Tomorrow is the big day. It's the last day, actually. Uh, but what is in the speech? Well, we maybe take a stab in the dark. Climate change is probably likely to be on the cards, given our close relationship with our Pacific neighbours and the fact that the PM actually has a second meeting with the UN Secretary General also on the cards tomorrow with some of those Pacific leaders. Anna, have you noticed um, the Prime Minister, or have you heard of the Prime Minister, perhaps chatting with countries that you know we, we weren't expected to be chatting to? Look, I'm going to ask this afternoon what prompted the bilateral meeting with Chile. I thought that was quite unusual. Uh, We weren't really quite sure of the contents of that chat yet either. So it'll be interesting to find out what was the topic of discussion that came up there. And also sitting in that General Assembly, you would expect the Prime Minister of any country or the leader of any country to have made some close relationships over the years. But I'm quite surprised at how many close relationships Jacinda Ardern has managed to um, show us that or reveal that she has at this year's obviously first in-person meeting meeting in more than two years, the likes of Iceland's Prime Minister coming up and giving her a very warm greeting, Poland as well. You know, this is a time when you get to see the ins and outs and perhaps those little unscheduled moments of, of, a, of a leader's week. It, it's been, an, there's been a couple of comments back here uh, about, you know, from opposition, obviously, and uh, from one, one media company going, oh, the Christchurch call, it's, you know, it's a bit of virtue signalling. It, it doesn't really mean anything. Everyone thinks it's it's terrible. I was about to use another word. Tell me about this. The Christchurch call, what do you think it is positioned as? Do you think the other nation see it as important? I think every nation is going to tell you that they think it's important, but what an uphill battle to try and get change with private enterprise on board when you're talking about, you know, voluntary um, regulation. And that is the problem, is that really after all this time, it doesn't look like to the layperson there's been much of a tangible outcome that the government uh, or that New Zealand and France have managed to achieve. Yes, there have been small incremental changes, but this is a huge uphill to climb and I'm not quite sure that they've made the dent that they were perhaps hoping to have. But at the same time, what do you do? Stand by and do nothing? You know, you've got to stand for something in this world and and if that's what your platform is, well, at least you can't be criticised for trying to make a difference. Yeah, Anna, thank you so much for your reporting. Uh, Always a pleasure. Anna Burns, Francis, everyone joining us from the United Nations. It is 11 and a half past five, and you are listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Raderi. Uh Yeah, uh, 2101, we have a uh, obviously a holiday Monday coming up. I know I think for some businesses it's a little bit of a worry. Uh, how are you seeing this as well? Will you do anything special to mark the, the Queen's? I guess this is our, our morning day, Queen's occasion, or are you just going to sleep? Uh, 2-1-0-1, or you can email us first up at rnz.co.nz. Well, uh, our, our regular Africa correspondent, Nabil, is having the week off, um, you know, which is very good. So uh, with me now from Kinshasa is Chris uh, Okamringa. Uh, kia ora, Chris, how are you? I'm very fine, thanks, Nathan. How are you doing? Real good, sir. So tell me, this bit of a standoff between the Democratic Republic of Congo and your neighbour Rwanda. What's the latest? Well, uh, the president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Felix Chisikedi, has accused Rwanda 
of uh, direct aggression in the east of his country. He made this at the UN General Assembly and said um, the international community should do more. Uh, Many people, his government uh, has been very disappointed with the United Nations and other uh, members of the Security Council for failing to condemn uh, Rwanda for what they said was um, armed supporting a rebel group known as the M23. This rebel group um, uh, captured uh, a key town in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo three months ago, and they have continued to seize other areas. The Democratic Republic of Congo officials say this area is rich in minerals and that these uh, rebel group is being funded and supported by Rwanda to plunder their resources. And uh, they were hoping that, you know, sanctions, they have provided evidence to the international community. They were hoping that sanctions would be imposed and they were comparing it to the situation between the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, how the international community has really supported uh, Ukraine with arms and imposed sanctions against uh, Russia. But it didn't happen in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yet the government here has designated the M23 rebel group as a terrorist organization. And uh, the president of Rwanda denied these accusations and uh, said that uh, the blame game will not uh, solve the problem. He said there's an urgent need for uh, to find some uh, solutions that will uh, get to the root, uh, deal with the root causes of this problem. Uh, last month, there was a group of uh, United Nations experts who released a report indicating that they had solid evidence that Rwanda was supporting this rebel group uh, to with arms and uh, troops in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And recently, the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, urged the Democratic Republic of Congo to engage in dialogue with the Rwanda to solve this problem. So it's a very complicated situation. But uh, the president of France, uh, Emmanuel Macron, met uh, President Félix Tshisekedi and uh, the Rwandan President Paul Kagame on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, and he tried to ease the tension between these two countries uh, because it was threatening to go to war. So we're still waiting to see how uh, the, the, the situation will go on from here. Nathan? Uh, Chris, you know, it's one of those things, people like things to be authentic, and we've got a story here, which I believe is uh, happening in Nigeria, uh, an erotic message service being run out of Nigeria, this is according to the BBC, uh, men are being warned, what is the warning about this erotic message service run out of Nigeria? <laughs> well, this is a very interesting warning, it's about <clears throat> these men who have been uh, uh, joining these websites to uh, you know, chat with very attractive young ladies. I've been warned that the ladies that they're chatting with are actually men. Uh, the BBC journalists have unearthed uh, a, a, a recruitment agency that has been getting people, especially young men in Nigeria, to uh, start chatting with these men who come on this site. Joining the site is free, but then when you must subscribe, to be able to send messages and receive messages from these young ladies. These men have been trained how to communicate with very seductive messages, you know, to lure the people to spend more time on the Internet because the more time they spend, then they they exhaust all the credit that they've paid. And that's how the business runs. These people make profit that way. And some men have been spending more than $300 asking to meet these very young, attractive women, women, but then it turns out later that the women are not, you know, they, they're not who they claim to be. 
And so um, the people are very, very disappointed. <laughs> they, uh, some of them have been threatening to sue, but it's not possible. I mean, this is something that is pure entertainment. And so uh, a lot of money has been lost uh, through that uh, with, uh, entertainment services. I bet it has. Hey, Chris, thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you this morning. There he is from Kinshasa. That is Chris Okamringa. It is 17 minutes past five. Let's get into a bit of, bit of fighting. Uh, heavyweight boxer Joseph Parker takes on Londoner Joe Joyce for the interim WBO belt. That's in Manchester on Sunday. He's been preparing for the fight in the seaside town of Morecambe, which is the home to retired heavyweight great and friend, Tyson Fury. Our reporter Clay Wilson asked how preparation has been going ahead of his third fight under his new trainer, Andy Lee. Like the first camp was good, the second one's better, this one's the best. The more time you work with someone, and like a trainer and fighter, you get to a better understanding of what they're trying to teach you and you can uh, practice it more and you can uh, execute it in training and when you execute in training, when it comes to fight time, you know what you can do in the ring. And so I think the, the longer time that I have with him and the more camps I have, the better I'm going to become as a fighter the more confidence I'm going to have and the more I trust and what we're working on. Mm. So going into this fight, we've got a good game plan that I think, well, that I know that if I execute well, it's going to be a great night for us. But I have to be focused for every second of every minute of every round and execute the plan we have in place to get a good night and a good result. Mm. You mentioned about the camp and, and obviously, you know, you're still around with Tyson and his setup and everything that, that he's given you. Has he been around a bit more for this camp? And if so, how has that impacted your preparation? Yeah, when I when when he was fighting Dillian uh, White, I was I was there for his whole camp, and he said to me after his win, he said he's going to be here for my camp, which he has, and he's been very helpful. You know, he does leave me and Andy to work on what we need to work on, but when he's around, he brings this buzz and his confidence, and he's and he's always looking for ways to help if he can and when he can. Mm. That second Chisora fight looked like you made some big improvements. Did you feel that way? And if so, I guess what were the main things you took away that you really took big steps forward in? From, from that fight, I, just, I took away that if I'm confident in myself and if I trust what I can do in the ring, I can get better results. And I'm not the same fighter who is always defensive and passive and waiting for things to happen. I want to go out there and make things happen. And when you take the risks to get in there and mix it up, you get better rewards. How do you feel then that those things are, are going to be applied in this fight against a fighter like Joe Joyce and his qualities? What do you see in him and, and how do you see you can, can best apply those things against him? It's all, it's all down to the practice. And Joe Joyce presents a lot of dangers with his height, his reach, his engine, his press forward style. But we've done everything we can to prepare for what he brings. So, and I know it's going to be a big task, but it's, it's really up to me and how I show up. Yeah. In terms of having the interim title on the line, but there's also the, the rematch clause in there, do you feel like you're going to have to beat him twice? Is that, is that how it has to pan out? Is that the path forward to, to getting that next title shot? Yes, I will. I'll beat him twice. I'll beat him in the weekend and I'll beat him again in December and then I'll be free to fight anyone else who wants to fight or fight for the title if it becomes available. But, you know, the rematch clause, I don't think it should be in play when you're not a world champion. But it's sort of forced upon us that if we didn't sign the fight with a rematch clause, they wouldn't have made the fight happen. So I back myself 100% that I don't need rematch clauses to make fights happen. I'll go in there and, do, and take your business how I know I can. You sound like you're really motivated at this point, and obviously you went through that point where you, you lost the title and you, and you had a couple of losses, and you're sort of working your way back into contention. How would you describe your motivation and drive at this point in your career? My motivation and drive is different from when I fought before and became world champion. When I became world champion, I wasn't truly happy, and there's many reasons why. But I feel like now I'm doing things more for myself and my immediate family, my wife, my kids, and I have these goals that I want to achieve, and I have these 
you know, I want to be champion of the world again. But in order to be champion of the world again, I have to put in the work and I have to be who's in front of me. That's boxer Joseph Parker. It's 20 past five. I'm Nathan Rarere and you are listening to First Up on RNZ National. Fruit of the Week happens soon. Also, we head to Moscow. Uh, as, of course, hundreds are detained for protesting the country's first military draft since the Second World War. And it's the first day of spring, so storyteller Ricky Solomon joins us to tell us about the significance of the Māori lunar calendar around this time of year. It's the 23rd of September. That means it's a happy birthday to the boss. We are the world. We are the children. Yes, the We Are The World singer was born Bruce Frederick Joseph Springsteen 73 years ago today. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Where they are standing in the rear It's Friday, we've got a long weekend ahead of us and joining me from the Fresh Produce Markets is our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, he's Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, what's your your Springsteen go-to? Are you a born-to-run guy? Yeah, Bruce Springsteen, he's okay. I know our mate Jezza in there loves them. He does. He loves them. Absolutely loves yeah. them. Hey, now, obviously, you, you um, now a lot of people might not know this, so so you live in Topor normally, but you're often in Auckland um, during the week at the market. So give us a little bit of, of how that all works for you. Yeah, well, we pop up to the market like um, on, on the weekend, Sunday, stay overnight and, and visit the markets on Monday. But I'm, I'm here in your lovely city now for two weeks actually and it gives us a good chance to catch up with all our awesome market guys have known some of these characters for decades and these people work tirelessly you know being the key link from moving the product from the growers to our retailers now they start most mornings at 4am till 10am it's probably similar to your hours Nate but then the phone never stops with orders and grower contacts even on the weekends the auction system that petered out in the late 80s and now sales are made by the private treaty style but the markets are still that busy hub and meeting place every weekday morning and the most acute example of the supply-demand model. So there are 21 produce markets dotted around the North Island, six different companies, and the Auckland ones moved to Mount Wellington in 1994. Some guys, indeed, are still there from the old city markets. Now, Big Dave, who's probably four-foot nothing and a forklift driver, he's 82. Ronnie Yu, he's still delivering produce. He's 84. Delightful guys. Now, we'd like to suggest an idea, Nathan. Invite you to the markets one morning next week, not only to meet Jermaine, your doppelganger and Ice TV fan, but <laughs> but to do the market review for us. And next Friday, you do the report, and I ask you questions, including fruit of the week. Would you be keen, sir? Oh, I'll check with the boss to see if that works. I like that, not not Springsteen. Uh, I'll check with uh, Pete <laughs> to see if I can do that one. <laughs> okay. I like that. I'll go. That's okay. an apple. That one is an apple for sure. Yeah, that'll be me. Hey, Look forward about, to it. <laughs> greens yeah. still aren't doing that well, but um, the asparagus spears or tips uh, they're around at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, there we go. The markets in Auckland yesterday, they were full on, which is usually the case for Thursday before a long weekend. Didn't help our green shortage, though. The extra demand made it worse. There was no broccoli. Cauliflower wasn't much better. And we're, we're being warned of a bumpy ride to come right into October. May pay to pack an extra bag of frozen veggies for the chilli bin on any trips away until Tuesday. So your best fridge, uh, fresh veggie buys are lean with orange kumara and brown onions featuring. Brussels sprouts are all but over now. However, cos lettuce and your fancy lettuce 
latest varieties, they're improving in supply. We've been very lucky on cucumbers this winter. They didn't reach hideously high prices. And in the North Island, at least, they're readily available. Finishing on some good news for two popular vegetables, asparagus and capsicums. These are picking up in volume. And if you shop for these on Tuesday, that will give the lower prices uh, yesterday a chance to filter into the retail sector. So, yeah, mm. look out for them next week. There's mm. the good tip. What about fruit? What's happening in fruit was? Oh, fruit, busy, busy, busy on fruit. New Zealand Encore Mandarins have started, although they have the odd pit. Ambrosia gets the apple pick for the weekend, and there are still pockets of tamarillos available. No problems with avocados, and buy your kiwi fruit regularly now. Their holding abilities have not been good this year at all. Uh, moving over to imported limes, and they're busy too. We saw pawpaw and pineapples from the Philippines, limes from USA, which were super green, and this time on grapes, albeit small, the sweeter tasting red flame seedless were the pick of the bunch. Okay. Plenty of Aussie strawberry, yeah, and Here's a new entrant, Australian yes. Kensington Pride Mangoes. That, that's a beautiful tasting mango, but treat them like a baby as they bruise so easily. And uh, talking of new, our Fruit of the Week has never been nominated oh, before. hang on. Glenn. Hi, Glenn. What's your Fruit of the Week? Californian Medjool Dates. Love a date. Yeah, but it's... it's I know, that, that's right. In my opinion, these dates are the best in the world. They're perfect texture, sweetness, and so good for you. The Natural Delights brand even has flavoured ones, coconut or sweet and salty almond or cacao uh, pecan. You can freeze dates, although they never stay in our fridge long enough for us to have uh, have to do that. But, yeah, do try some fresh dates from California, Nathan. They're magic. Will do. Thank you very much, Glenn. There is Glenn Forsyth with uh, Forsyth Throw with all the good stuff. Listeners, 2101, is there anything more 80s than getting dates in your school lunch? Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Actually, the other thing in an 80s lunchbox, which now you look back at with horror, remember when there'd be all the kid, oh... Oh, you've got jelly crystals. Can I have some? That was a lunch item. Actually, just jelly crystals. Uh, this is the 23rd of September. It's a happy 63rd birthday to Jason Alexander. And you're going, George Costanza. Yeah, George Costanza. He wanted to be a magician uh, very early on. He, he, he went and he went to magic camps or whatever, and he was told that his hands were too small to do card magic tricks. And he was very downcast about this, but they said, no, look at acting. That's just an illusion. So he went, yeah. And um, thank goodness that he did. Happy birthday to you, George. Uh, we heard beforehand that it is Bruce Springsteen's 73rd birthday today. Happy birthday, Jeremy. And uh, Ray Charles, another We Are The World singer, was born 92 years ago. Julio Iglesias, 79 years old today. And a man that used to uh, play rugby league and rugby and all that sort of stuff, uh, Lotte Tukiri, is 43 years old today. When I met him in, in Queensland, I asked how you said his name, he goes, well, it's actually Lodi Dungiri. He goes, but I, I live here, so I'm Lodi to Kiri. Um, so there you go. Uh, TV debuts. Well, a couple of biggies. In 1962, it was the Jetsons. In 2009, it was Modern Family, which ran for 11 seasons. And on this day in 1980, Bob Marley performed his last ever concert. It was a sold-out show in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He died of cancer the following year. And in 1846, the planet Neptune was discovered, and they knew exactly where to look, because some clever mathematicians a few years before had gone, I reckon if you look over there on this date at that time, there'll be a planet. Maths. Maths, man. There we go. That is what happened on this day on the 23rd of September. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Joining us now from our business team is Mr Nicholas Poynton. Are you a fan of maths, maths guy? 
Do you know, I liked the process of actually solving an equation. Yeah. There's something quite comforting and satisfying about it. It all fits. Yep, yep. But no, I wasn't very good at it. All right, okay. (laughs) It's like you loved it. There we go. Hey, now, um, interesting thing to talk about this morning. Something which costs an astronomical amount of money, which I I think many New Zealanders may be quite wowed by. Tell me about this new thing that's for sale in the United States. Well, it's a basketball team, isn't it? The Phoenix Suns, uh, one of the 30 NBA teams. These things do not come up for sale often. No. And as the sport grows in popularity so does the size of the valuations for these sports teams but this this particular sports team the reason why it's been put up for sale is is really the is the real story here its owner robert sarver a big investigation was done into him Mm. he uh how do we describe him not the best of men uh made 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 lewd comments racist comments admitted to using the n-word at least five times um, even when the coach said please stop doing that yeah please to you his know, face yeah but please. Robert, Robert Sarver's like I don't care I own a bank well yeah, yeah. and and I'm a billionaire yeah. um, I listened to a podcast yesterday that made a point that maybe we shouldn't be surprised when billionaires behave like this because <laughs> they aren't like you and us no. yeah they are, they are not like you and I the NBA, after this investigation, there's a lot of talk, oh, are they going to force Robert Sarver to sell the team? No, they handed him a one-year suspension and a $10 million fine. The NBA, some people were saying behind closed doors, they, they realised they didn't need to fine this guy because the the backlash, the corporate backlash to this became so severe that his position as the owner became untenable. Yeah. Essentially, the corporate sponsors said, we cannot be associated with an individual who has admitted, who has accepted these these punishments, who has admitted to using you know using the n word, these lewd comments, and they began to walk away. Yeah. And for Robert Sava and the statement he put out, he says it's become painfully clear that ownership is no longer possible. The thing for him is though. Uh, He's going to be rewarded. He bought this team. He bought a majority stake in the team in about in two thousand nine for about four hundred million dollars. Four hundred million. Yeah. Yep. Forbes recently estimated the value of the Phoenix Suns at one point eight billion dollars. So uh, even though he's losing, he's winning. Um, yeah. But that is one of the peculiarities of US sport. So if if he sold that for one point eight billion, I was trying to do the maths in my head yesterday. He could buy every single NRL team. <laughs> All of the New Zealand Rugby Union. In fact, if he could buy every sports team that he wanted as a franchise because the value in it too is you get your TV rights money coming mm-hmm. in, you're selling T-shirts, you're selling sweatshirts, hats, mm-hmm. hoodies and all that as well. It is a cash cow. Yeah, well, it depends on the team, right? Yeah. You know, the, the team he has right now, a very good team. Mm. They were tipped to maybe go go the distance, maybe win a championship last year. And just the fact you have you know, big-name players under contract for, mm. a, for, a significant period, for a significant period of time that goes a long way to significantly inflating the value right. of that organisation. So what you're saying is, I should buy an NBA team and then that's how to get rich. I should buy an NBA team in 2009. Well, the thing is, is um, NBA viewership ratings are actually beginning to starting to tail off. Hmm. They've just announced a big new rights deal, but I'm saying 
The next time the new rights deal comes down, I reckon these huge valuations we've seen for NBA teams would have come off the boil. So you might not need $1.8 billion, maybe $1 billion oh, to get great. the job done. Sweet. We'll have a work around. Thank you yeah. very much, Nicholas. There we go. You can hear more from the business team this morning on uh, at 10 to 7. $1.8 billion. To Friday's international money markets now. Here we go. Your New Zealand dollar is worth 88.14 Australian cents, 51.82 British pence, 4.13 yuan, 82.96 Japanese Yen, it is worth 58.48 US cents and 59.41 euro cents. There he is, it's Joe Porter uh, from the RNZ Sports Desk. Kia ora Joe, how are you? Morena, good, thank you. It was a New Zealand and Sporting International action last night. Yeah, it was. There was a fair bit on, actually, wasn't there? Unfortunately, not not the best of results, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, one felt very unfair, I've oh, got to say, that the well. netball did. Let's go, let's go netball first. So the, the Ferns beat the Jamaicans last night, and they thumped them. And I did feel sorry for Jamaica, because they had such a difficult time being here. And when your own coach has to wear a uniform so you've got enough players to call it an international, I think it was Connie Francis is, what, 47 years old? That's not really fair. No, it's not fair. And look, it would have been amazing had she actually taken the court to see how it would have all panned out. Uh, I know Nolene Toto, Dame Nolene Toto, had actually expressed concerns over player safety because it wasn't just Connie Francis, as it was, of course, a couple of ex-Jamaica internationals who had come from Australia, a a new mum and someone else who had been out of the game for a fairly long time. So, look, the series was a bit of a shambles, wasn't it? But you've got to, like you say, feel sorry for the Jamaicans because it's not the players' fault that the visa issues weren't sorted out. They wanted to go and play good netball. They are the Commonwealth Games silver medalists and really... It was a series everyone was looking forward to. They'd knocked yeah. the Silver Ferns out in the semi-finals in Birmingham, but it turned into a bit of a farce and, what, a 40-point win last night to the Silver Ferns, although they shot really well, they didn't play that good. Um, and, yeah, just a, a series that should have been a lot more than it was. And then, jumping across the Tasman later on last night, mm. the Australian football team is going off to the World Cup at the end of this year. They expected to pretty much put that score on New Zealand last night. Didn't work out that way, Joe. No, only only a 1-0 win to Australia and the Australian coaches after the game said that they were probably the, the second best team out there. So look, a lot of credit has to go to the All Whites. Although Chris Wood after the match said that they, there was a lot of things they could have done better and felt that they possibly should have won that game as well. So it's nice to see them in a very competitive space under coach Danny Hay. They seem like a pretty fired up team at the moment and look, they meet again at Eden Park on Sunday. Hopefully the weather's all right in Auckland this weekend and the scrums don't tear that field up on Saturday night. Well, the other one is the line markings as well, of course, <laughs> because you've got, what, we've got two international games of rugby at Eden Park on Saturday, uh, what, afternoon and evening, and mm. then we've got the football there on Sunday as well. So we should mention that. Too. I think there's a meet and greet, if you like, here, uh, football as well. But Ferns v Japan and um, All Blacks versus them Wallabies, and there's an extra bit of sting uh, in the Wallabies game. Yeah, it's, well, it seems that Dave Rennie's comments yesterday were, were pretty strong, weren't they? He's really upset by the way some of the All Blacks have carried on after last week's controversial win by New Zealand in Melbourne and, of course, Bledisloe won. So, yeah, a bit to play for there. The All Blacks have a, t- a championship on the line defending their rugby championship title. They will really be wanting a bonus point 
to make sure that they give themselves the best chance with South Africa hosting Argentina and Durban and the team's level on points. So, look, it's going to be a, a pretty interesting matchup. Of course, the Eden Park Hoodoo, the Wallabies haven't won there since 1986. The All Blacks haven't lost there in even longer. Um, that sort of seems to mean a lot, Fortress Eden Park. So, look, the odds are certainly in the All Blacks' favour, but a few interesting positional changes and changes to the side given a few injury concerns. Uh, a lot of people will look with you know anticipation to see what Geordie Barrett will go like at 12, at second five. He's played there before for the New Zealand under-20s and to... To, you know, with a lot of success, so a lot, many people have wanted to see him put in the midfield, you know, a lot earlier than he has been. Although the coach Ian Foster has usually sort of poo-pooed that idea, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes. And and Crusaders fans must be feeling hard done by with Will Jordan still stuck on the wing and Bowden Barrett taking over at fullback. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's um, and the loose forwards Artie Savia back. He'll be he'll be keen to stamp his mark on this Bledisloe series after missing the game last week and the All Blacks. Look, let's be honest, that referee's call gave them the chance to save their blushes against a B-strength Aussie side they should have put away by a lot more than they did last week in Melbourne. They need to find some consistency to give fans confidence going into this Northern Tour that they can you know, can t- compete with the likes of Ireland and France and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, uh, look, a lot on the line at Eden Park and the Blackfins too, their last hit out before the World Cup. They've got some catching up to do with, again, those big European sides. Uh, Wayne Smith earlier this week making it pretty clear that he didn't see them anywhere near as favourites. So, look, uh, it's going to be an interesting next few week months or for the... It's fine. It's a, no, no, don't worry about it. We've got Wonder Woodman. We're cool. We're, yeah, well, we've look, got we Porsche. Do. We've got Charmaine McMenamin back, who, I mean, I miss Aroha Savage and Alice Fords, but we've got Charmaine back. We've got, we're fine. Don't worry about it, Joe. We're look, good. I, I hope you're right. Me. I hope you're right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you very much. There is Murray Z Sport. That is Joe Porter. Nineteen and a half to six, Nathan Rarity here at first up on RNZ National. Today is apparently the first day of spring. We're going to hear about a special festival that marks the occasion and also we'll be uh, phoning Moscow to find out just what's happening there, of course, as people have been called up to help fight Putin's war. Maybe they don't want it. The professionals of Morning Report are up after six o'clock and with a preview of what's happening on Friday... Just today, it's uh, Susie Ferguson. Kia ora, Susie. Kia ora, how are you? I'm I'm very good actually. I'm quite. Yeah. I'm, my coffee's kicked in. We had a. Oh. They've changed the beans upstairs and whoo! <laughs> one of those ones. So that's good. <laughs> oh, good on you. It's, it's what you need on a Friday. Let's yeah, face it, Nathan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, look, on Morning Report, we've got, uh, we'll be looking at the situation in Ukraine. The US Secretary of State strongly condemning the Russian war at the UN Security Council. And back here, the government now considering expelling the Russian ambassador and the National Party in favour of this, saying really it's it's long overdue. So we'll be hearing from Jerry Brownlee on the programme this morning. Also, we'll be hearing from the parents of Dunedin plumber Rory Nairn, who died of myocarditis caused by the COVID-19 vaccine. And also today, New Zealand will be the first country in the world to launch the global climate strike. We'll be hearing from a couple of the people involved. It's all coming up after six. Thank you very much, Susie. Well, today, the 23rd of September, is officially the first day of spring. So in Te Reo, we call spring Koanga. So the Koanga Festival, which runs from today until the 8th of October, celebrates the change of season and it features the incredible storytelling, uh, mental health uh, advocate and experts on the Māori Luna calendar, or Maramataka, Ricky Solomon. So I asked Ricky just to explain a bit about Maramataka. Maramataka is a lunar calendar, but it's also an environmental calendar 
taking into consideration everything that's happening in the, in the environment. And there's a, a, a hakatoki that we use, which is tuiki te rangi, tuiki te whenua, tuiki te moana. And that's aligning everything that's happening in the skies with everything on the land and the ocean. So at this time of the year, it's one of the magic times of the year, which is uh, koanga or mahuru, which is the springtime. And we align up some stars, which we often use as whakahu kerikere and whakahu rangi, which is Castor and Pollux arising in the, in the horizon before sunrise. And then also we have on the land, we have kōwhai trees starting to flower. We have the kuaka, which is the godwit, which has returned from uh, Siberia, Alaska. It's flown all the way here from the northern hemisphere. We have the pipi whāruru, um, which is the shining cooker, has flown in. And there's, a, there's another proverb of Whakatoki that goes, katangi te pipi whāruru, katimata mahuru. And what they're saying is that the cry of the pipi whāruru, spring has begun. And the uh, pipi whāruru travels uh, with the movement of the sun down uh, as the sun heads towards the southern, towards the South Island, starts uh, moving with that. And so we have all these birds, a kokoya, which is a, a long-tailed cuckoo, which comes in from the Pacific Islands. So they're all returning back to Aotearoa to hang out for spring and for summer. Um, in terms of our ocean, we have the inanga, which is the white bait, coming up our rivers. We have the tuna, or the, the glass tuna, yeah. um, returning back to Aotearoa from the uh, overseas trip up to the up to the Pacific through Tonga, Samoa. They're returning, their babies are returning back to our river. So there's a whole magical time. It's the time that we would start prepping the land for gardening and planting of our, our riwai, our kumara, our taro. So it's a real busy time of it's the everything. year. everything. You've also been taking this knowledge and doing some really wonderful work there with, with mental health, particularly there in, in young people. How, how does teaching about the lunar calendar help, help with their mental health? When we look at mental health, there's different forms of of distress that people are going through. And it doesn't matter if it's low mental health or high mental health, they're all different levels of distress. And so maramataka is about identifying where you're standing in the environment. And so our, our ancestors, our tipuna, left a, a template which was mainly used for growing kai, um, planting and fishing and eeling. But it's also uh, they would watch the moon every single every single night, and they gave a name to each face that they saw, known as Ngamato de Marma. There's a name, and it has a story that's connected to that part of the Marma. So when we're teaching our, our rangatahi or anyone that comes, we're teaching them about their identity. We're teaching them about their position in the environment. And ultimately, if I could put Marama in its simplest form, it's knowing where you stand within the environment that you're in. Mm. And so you start connecting to the plants, the trees, and, the, and really touching into the natural science, a scientist that's within each of our rangatahi. And so they begin to observe everything around them, just like the weather. We often think every day has to be a, ourselves. We have to think every day is a, has to be positive. But the environment teaches us that we have rain, we have snow, we have high winds, that there's multiple. It's not just sunny every day. Yeah. And so when they understand that, they're like, oh, okay, it's okay to, for me to be down. Yeah. It's okay for me sometimes to get angry. Yeah, it's okay for me to be sad. Yeah, the environment 
isn't just sunny. And, and it teaches them to navigate through the distress that they're going through. That's beautiful, Ricky. Absolutely beautiful. So, you know, Kuanga Festival, Kuanga is, is spring for everyone listening there as well. Tell us what, what are you um tell us what you're gonna be doing at the Kuanga Festival. Well the Kuanga Festival, um to my good friends on Marcus the Sandman Winters and Jerome Tongapool or Kavanagh, we're doing a festival at the festival next week, just telling stories. So I'll be telling stories. We're trying to make it a three D effect where Marcus will be drawing with Onipu with sand, doing sand art, so people will be watching him draw. And behind that lad, behind that, Jerome will be playing Tonga Puoro. And then on top of that, I'll be telling stories in Pudako around Koanga and the, talking about the stars and the different stories, talking about Maui, fishing up Aotearoa, talking about how Maui slowed the sun down, that they're just not stories. Uh, the actual times connected with the stars and they're giving positions in astronomy positions. And when we talk about how Maui slowed the sun down, well, we talk about in, in winter to spring is that the hook of Maui is chasing the sun right through winter, trying to slow the sun down. And then in summer in the solstice, the hook of Maui is over the top of the sun. And so the actual, these stories are actual positions of different stars and talking about the solstices and talking about the equinox. And kōanga, if we break the word kōa, is an instrument that our ancestors used, our tipuna used to dig their gardens, sort of like a spade. So kōanga, kōanga is to start prepping the land for your garden, not to start planting, but to prep it. So when we hit into fitting our nuku, which is around October, to plant our seeds then so that we have our kai. Spring was such an important time for us, and that's what we're trying to share is that having our whānau reconnect back to growing gardens themselves with the cost of food that it is now. You can plant your garden at home. You can use whatever space you have to garden. Our vegetables will grow wherever we put them. And that's what we're hoping to to share. When we first did it was for a men's house, but then we went into lockdown and that's uh, last year, and that sort of disrupted our plans and what we wanted to do. But now we're just... Uh, we have another opportunity to share so whānau can come in, hear stories, reconnect to whakapapa, reconnect to stories of our, of our ancestors and talk about spring in a different way. That's Māori storyteller and mental health advocate Ricky Solomon. So happy kuanga, everybody. Flights out of Russia are selling out fast after Vladimir Putin ordered some 300,000 military reservists to join the fight in Ukraine, but there are fears that the president's announcement means that some fighting age men won't even be able to leave the country, and it's seen the cost of flights soar. For example, uh, a one-way ticket to Turkey, which would normally cost about 600 New Zealand dollars, is now selling for about 2,000. Joining us is our correspondent in Moscow, it's Stuart Smith. Mos- uh, sorry, Stuart, thank, thank you uh, very much for being here. What, why did President Putin make this move to call up these extra 300,000 troops? He believes it's necessary to protect what will become Russian territory in Ukraine, most likely by next week, with four of the 
regions of Ukraine undertaking referendums that look set by all accounts, those in Ukraine and in Russia, to mean that Russia will annex these regions. But in doing so, you have to remember not all of these regions are even fully under Russian control. Russia needs more forces to defend them. And so he says now is the time to use mobilization, forced uh, forced conscription to get these people into Ukraine to help. For months, there have been high uh, high salaries promised for any volunteers. There have been benefits uh, lauded around uh, for people that do come voluntarily. But clearly, the Kremlin believes now forced mobilization is the only way to get the numbers required to do the job. It seems like they're being sent into a, a war with an army that is dug in, that is quite hard, that is, is very good. Tell me, these people that decide, I don't want to do this, what sort of trouble are they in if, if they refuse to the call to sign up? Yeah, so they can't refuse legally. There will be long prison terms, around 10 to 15 years, for those that refuse once they have been called up. But the situation now for the 25 million men who could be called up as that con- part of that contingent of 300,000. And right now they can leave the country. They can try to uh, leave the region that they're currently in. Some regions in Russia locking down and saying that fighting age men can't leave even just the region. And in doing so, they could find themselves outside the country if they do get called up. That still means by law they must return, but it means they have a better chance of evading um, mandatory conscription. So have you heard uh, about people trying to flee or even being, you know, even being stopped from it? Yeah, absolutely. So we've spoken to, I know people personally, uh, friends who are trying to flee. I've spoken to people that have previous military experience, used to fight for the Russian armed forces and are looking to flee that don't want any part of this, especially amongst younger people in Russia who have recently done their obligatory one year of military service, which by many accounts is not all that uh, useful in terms of actual battle experience. These people are particularly worried because they are likely to be the ones conscripted, despite the fact that they may not have much training, if any at all, that would be actually useful in the fight. So indeed, yes, I know people that are using the land borders that Russia has with countries like Georgia and Kazakhstan so they can drive across. That's the cheap option. But there's also the option for those that have the money or got ahead of the game and bought flights to countries like Turkey or Armenia. All of these countries do not require visas for Russian citizens, but the cost of tickets, as you said, have gone up extraordinarily. Stuart, you know, these are families here that are thinking, this is our son, this is my brother, this is my husband, this is, you know, any, anything like this. The mood of the people, of, of your normal Russian people, what, how are they feeling about this war? Well, there's an interesting example. I spoke to a family that were involved uh, in trying to move one of these people trying to get in a car and immediately drive to a border to get across. But there was an interesting division in this family because the son, who was concerned about getting conscripted, felt pressured in two directions. His sisters and his uh, girlfriend wanted him to leave to get out of the country before the borders potentially close. His mother, though, She seemed convinced by the Russian president, Vladimir Putin's arguments. She said it was the duty, as sad as she was, she was in tears, but said it was the duty of the men of Russia to fight once called upon by the government, fully invested and believing in the the uh, the reasoning provided by the government, which is that this is not just a special military operation in Ukraine anymore. This is a fight for Russia's survival against NATO, which is how now it's being branded. Yeah. Uh, from Moscow, that's Stuart Smith. Uh, Stuart, thank you so much for your time, sir.
Yeah, uh, extraordinary situation there. I read quite a long essay yesterday from an American uh, who trained soldiers and said this is not, um, they, These a lot of these men are just, they're not fit for war, they're just thrown into these camps and sure they're called up but they're given about a day's training and sent into this uh, and he was not optimistic at all about their survival chances or even about the war itself. He just thought it was better just not to have it and I think we all agree with that one. Well, it's the end of what's been one busy and for many an emotional uh, working week in which we farewell the only monarch most of us have ever known from the UK, Queen Elizabeth II. And we've got a long weekend uh, with Monday, a public holiday to mark her passing. So our reporter Leonard Powell hit the streets of Auckland and asked people what they were going to be doing with that extra time off. I'll just be sleeping in, chilling out, hanging out with the family. I think it's very nice to take a moment and, you know, think about people we've lost, the Queen included. I haven't thought about what's happening on Monday, I'm just thinking about today. I have literally nothing to do. <laughs> I'm actually going on school camp, so I'm away for the weekend. <laughs> so even with the holidays, camp goes ahead? Uh, it does this time round, yeah. Two short notice to make different plans, yeah. Uh, working, bro. Yeah, working all day. Uh, told us today. Told us, didn't ask. Just to relax at home. Maybe do something really English, like fish and chips on the beach. Something like that. Is there anything It's what you would have wanted. Hopefully good weather so we can relax. I probably will, will go to swimming pool with my kids. That's the plan. Yeah. Oh, so the Queen's, uh, it's the Queen's uh, special day, eh? Remembrance Day. Oh, I hope everyone has an awesome day, because I'm going to have an awesome day. Oh, good. We all hope you have an awesome day as well. And perhaps some of the folks of Auckland could help search for burrito. That might be good. Uh, finally this morning, uh, some of your feedback that's come in. I was talking before about is there anything more 80s than seeing jelly crystals in a lunchbox. Here's one. Pip says, don't forget those hundreds and thousands sandwiches. Hey, remember the good old days? Hey, healthy days. Smoking in the car with the kids. Awesome. Uh, L has written in typical New Zealand wins in netball and no praise. People here just, just feel Jamaica would have won. That sucks. We, we won. In a story. Typical Kiwis always looking for the downside and kicking you when we can. L. L. No, I think what I was saying was I felt disappointed for Jamaica that they couldn't show up with their full team because that's what they would like for us. I think we would hope to do the best, uh, send our best team available if we were playing the very best. But you're right, yes, New Zealand won and well done. Morning Report is next with Susie and Corin. Don't forget it is the longer. Uh, sorry, Susie and Guyon. Uh, don't forget from all of us here at First Up, have a wonderful long weekend. You can take us with us, uh, take us with you by downloading the podcast. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday. Tuesday.